Father, we come before you this morning and we just love you, Lord. We, we thank you that we have this church to come to, Lord. And we are so grateful for everything here. We're grateful for our pastor and his wife as they persevered here, Lord, over 30 years. And um, many, many great things have happened here, Lord. But every Sunday, the word of God goes out. And that's the most important thing that we have to focus on. So we give you this day. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This is the chapter in Romans where Paul pulls everything together. He reconciles the effects of a sinless spirit and a depraved sinful body, because we all are that. And he addresses concerns for how our sinful tendencies might impact our eternal future, you know. Um, He answers the doubts for any who might wonder if they're truly saved. A lot of people go through this. All of a sudden, one day they think, am I really saved? You know, they might be doing something out of the ordinary, but they'll look and say, I wonder if this affects my salvation. So he even considers what our death in the body says about our relationship with Jesus Christ. So chapter 8 is really the final part of five little sections in this book. In these sections, we have been examining the consequences of our salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. We've been doing this on Monday night. This is the Monday night Bible study on Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, but we've finished off through chapter 7. And um, chapter 7 explained why Despite our perfection in Christ, we still experience sin in our body. You'd think it would be different, but Paul explains why. So these two conditions or conflicting consequences create the potential for confusion, misunderstanding among um, uninformed believers. You know, this is why God put these words out there for us. He put all the books of the Bible together so that we would know And we would train and we would go and be able to understand the things of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that he would lead us down a path and lead us down a road to do his work for him. So first, does the fact that I continue to experience sin following my salvation suggest that I am not truly saved at all? That's a question. Secondly, how do we tell the difference between an unbelieving praying Christian? Christian and a true believer ruled by the sinful flesh. You know, sometimes it's just not obvious. Finally, how do we understand the trials of daily life uh, that come upon us while living in our present condition? You know, how are we going to handle it? Day to day, we're a little bit different. One day we're tired. One day we're kind of mentally out of it. You know, I'm speaking for myself, of course. But You know, there's ways that we, things happen in our life. You know, we don't get enough sleep or we're struggling through a pain or anything like that. So finally, how do we understand the trials of daily life? How do we put that together in our walk with the Lord and come upon the things in living in our present condition and their evidence of God's displeasure? People think of like that, like, you know, I get the flu because God doesn't love me. I got the flu or I broke my leg because, you know, God wanted to show me something. Ain't wrong. That isn't the way it works. So all of these issues revolve around a single concern. 
It's called our eternal destiny. Um, so one day soon, the world will know that uh, Jesus Christ is Lord, and they're going to know they're going to live in a sinful world. And they know they're going to understand that their flesh is corrupt. We don't want them to learn that in a way where they walk through this world and they didn't accept Jesus Christ as Lord. So um, all of us have our confidence shaken at many times in our life, you know, depending on what it is. Others sin against us or disobedience on our own. We create a situation in our mind where we're battling. We have the spirit in us and we have the flesh. And it's a continual warfare. It's the strongest most continual warfare that we'll ever see in our lives. And Paul addresses these concerns in chapter 8, in a chapter called The Consequences of Our Eternal Security. Okay? Of understanding what that is. So in Romans 8, 1, starts with, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a great, great verse. Uh, Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. These are great promises. These are realities. In verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And in verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right, chapter 8 opens with a powerful statement of assurance of our security in Jesus Christ. We should never forget that. It never changes. It's there. It's 100% there. It'll never change unless we allow it to change. So Paul starts with the word therefore. We all know what therefore is therefore. So it's what was previously said by applying the truths that were taught in the prior chapters of Romans. In a sense, eight one could be the conclusion of the whole uh, book of Romans, but it isn't. Paul goes on through 8 and then 9 and etc. As a result of our salvation by grace through faith, um, <clears throat> excuse me, as a result of receiving the righteousness of Christ rather than relying on our own righteousness, we have no righteousness. God gives us his righteousness. As a result of possessing a perfect spirit and despite temporarily inhabiting a sinful body, you know, our spirit is perfect. The spirit of God, the spirit of the third person of the Holy Trinity is perfect. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to explain what that means as we go ahead. So notice Paul's emphasis on the word now wasn't, in the future, it wasn't in the past. Now, we're free of condemnation not only at our judgment moment uh, in the eternal age, which is to come, but even now you stand without condemnation. And you've got to lock that in. That is the greatest assurance we could ever have. Uh, that doesn't give us the freedom to go out and sin, but it gives us the understanding of who we stand upon. We stand upon the rock, and his name is Jesus Christ. So even now, as we continue to experience sin in our lives because of our body, we're approved by God. He gives us the check, approval. How can this be true? Well, remember the eternal you is not your body. 
We went through this in the previous chapters, 6 and 7. The sinful body is destined to go to the grave. It dies, it, it's gone, it goes away. It will pay f- for a sin with a death just as God requires. That has to happen that way. But you are, you are your spirit. This is who you represent in Christ. Um, and your spirit is sinless, made in the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, our sinful spirit died on the cross with Christ. Took it as Jesus was nailed to the cross. We're put on the cross with them. So even as you experience sin, you have no condemnation. If to go through it, it becomes very depressing sometimes. But we have to lift up and know what our assurance is and know what our reward is at the end of our life. In verse 2, Paul says that the spirit of life in Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death. He says it specifically there. The spirit of life in Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death. We're no longer under that law. The spirit of life in Christ refers to that new spirit we received from Christ at the moment of our faith. When we took the step of, uh, step of faith, we got that. That spirit of God came into us, and we had a whole different look at the world. So we have to look at people today and understand when we're talking to non-believers, what they're thinking. They're not thinking like us. They don't have the Holy Spirit. The new spirit is not under condemnation because Christ already paid the price for our sins on the cross. It's already there. That's the flesh. Therefore, we were set free from the law that condemned our sin. The law demands death for sin, and Christ took that death in our place. All the sin, and that's a plural word, of mankind went on the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. All the sin of the past, all of the sin present when Jesus was there, and all the sin of the future. It's a huge amount of sin. I don't know what that number is. It's one times ten to whatever that number you're going to put next to ten, whatever the, you know, to infinity, whatever it might be. But um, Paul explains this conclusion in verse 3, saying the law couldn't, uh, compel us to live perfectly. It wasn't there for that. It was to measure us just to see how sinful we are, which is why it only served to condemn us. We start reading that. Oh, man, there's 613 laws and 10 commandments. That's a lot to understand and a lot to know. But it, if people went through that, as they go through it, it'd be like, oh, I fell for that one or whatever it might be, you know. Therefore, the Father sent Jesus Christ to live it perfectly for us. Christ lived the law perfectly. He fulfilled the law. And then to die is a payment for our sin. Not his sin, he was sinless. You know, we're the sinners. He's perfect. By living according to law, Christ's spirit remained perfect and sinless from birth to death. From the time he was born till the time he died, he was sinless. By faith, his perfect spirit has given birth to our perfect spirit. And his death paid the price for our sin, freeing us from condemnation. So in verse 4, Paul says, By receiving Christ's spirit, the requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us. We inherit that. It's incredible when you think about it. But in other words, when the Father looks upon us now, what does he say? 
First, he sees our sinful deeds done in this body, all of us. But those who deeds are the result of our flesh, not our spirit. Our spirit doesn't sin. Our flesh sins. But one day our body will go to the grave, which is the just penalty for its sin. We're going to go, we're going to be buried or cremated or however you decided you're going to go after you're gone, after the spirit leaves your body and, you know, your body's there. It's just flesh, flesh and bones. But our body is not eternal, us, because it's not the part of us that will pass over into the next age. What passes over is our spirit. And the spirit is there forever. Whether you're going to heaven or whether you're going to hell, it's going to be there. Which choice would we want today? Certainly we want the choice to go to heaven. The eternal part of us is our spirit. When the Father looks upon our spirit, all he sees is Christ's perfect spirit. It's there. He's looking through the broken body and blood of Jesus Christ when he looks at us. He says, wow, they're beautiful. I can look in the mirror and I can tell you I'm not beautiful. But Christ sees us that way. Our spirit does not sin and therefore there is no condemnation for our spirit. Not now, not ever. And these are building blocks to know. Our spirit is the only part of us that carries out into the presence of the Lord. The body's gone. The body's imperfect. The body's not there. Someday we're going to get a new body, a glorified body. I don't know what that looks like, but it's probably going to be pretty exciting. You know, um, our body's sin has no bearing on our spirit standing before God. It's gone. The price has been paid. It's been put in the ground or it's been destroyed. With this argument, Paul addresses the first doubt mentioned in the chapters, in the, in the questions that had up front. For the Christian who wonders if uh, continuing presence of sin draws our salvation into question, the answer is no. It's clearly no. Because the source of our sin is our flesh, which will go to the grave prior to our judgment. And we're all going to have a judgment at the end of this age. So that as we arrive before Christ, we have already shed that part of us that remains unrighteous. It's gone away. It's not there. We're there in spirit. All that remains at the moment is our perfect spirit made so by Christ. It'd be hard to find a truth of scripture more important than this one. Because a lot of things can get into your mind and say, you know, how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect me when I go before the Lord? Well, that question was just answered. Uh, a Christian cannot engage in a serious and productive pursuit of God's grace, truth, and godliness until he or she understands the truth. And the Bible says the truth will what? Will set you free. And we all know what that means. You know, it's like the shackles coming off. It's like uh, me throwing this thing away and being able to run a marathon. Okay? That kind of thing. As long as we remained confused about this point, we will either revert to self-righteousness, trying to work for something we already have obtained, or we'll become so discouraged or defeated by our sin that we give up the pursuit of Christ altogether. Both the mistakes. And you know, people do this every day. Even pastors do this every day. You know, we've been to conferences where um, years ago with Pastor Chuck would get up and he'd talk about some of the lost. And you say, wow, 
remember talking to that guy and had a tremendous ministry and all this stuff. But yet something came into his life that just took him away from it. And he went down that road. Or, and um, it's like that for all of us. We need to keep our eyes upon the Lord. We need to be in the Word every day. We need to pray. And <clears throat> these things will help us resist the things of the world. You know, and there's temptation everywhere. With computers today, man, you can turn on the computer and there's 17 different ways to sin just bringing up Yahoo. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's unbelievable. And these things are in there to take us away, you know, where we could go to, in other words, we could go to the Bible or we could go online to um, uh, Blue Letter Bible or something like that and look at different versions of the Bible and read scripture and understanding the Greek and the Hebrew and stuff like that, even one verse a day. It's amazing what you can get out of that. But we need to do that. We need the protection. We need it sitting there. We need it so it bounces off us, you know. Um, you know, it's just, just the way it is. I mean, Rudy was telling me a story yesterday about George Washington. And there was a Native American that took a shot at him. And it was it should have been right through his heart. But it didn't kill him. It, it went through the side of his jacket, his big, thick, whatever the clo clothing was made of. That was the first bulletproof vest. But that's what happens when we put on the word of God. You know, those sins, those strong arrows, those arrows of poison and stuff, sin gets deflected and gets sent away. In fact, um, nevertheless, sin does nothing to weaken our relationship with God. But in fact, our concern over sin, if we have a conscience that's going on, we're concerned about sin. It's proof that we're a child of God. If we're getting worried about it, if anything, that's proof that we know Jesus Christ and he knows us. And we have the mind of Christ because we have the spirit of God within us. It's pretty exciting when you think about it. So we're moving on to verse 5. Uh, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the thing of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. It's the way it's set up. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And how many of us want peace? Man, this weekend at my house, there is no peace. There's all sorts of grandkids. There's nephews and nieces. And last night when I came in at 7.30 and my, my living room, my kitchen, it was chaos. And you don't want that in your life. I mean, that's love. That's beautiful with a family like that. But this is how Satan wants to, not that particular case, but he doesn't want us to be peaceful, you know. And the only way to be peaceful is to be in the word and understand who Christ is in our life. So in verse 7 says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's a tough place to be. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Wow. We desire this for all of our family, of course. We desire for our neighbors, for our friends, the people we work with. We desire for people, we should desire for people that we kind of rub each other the wrong way, 
Those are the tough ones. And sometimes those are the people that are the easiest to bring to the Lord. Um, So in verse 10, if Christ is in you through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We have that that hope of life. Paul labels the unsaved human condition as living according to the flesh. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to Chuck Smith's tapes and, and, and different things, and he always talked about the war between the flesh and the spirit. And in the beginning, when I was a new Christian, I couldn't figure it out. I was like pinching myself and saying, well, what is this flesh? It's the sin in our life. So become... Before coming to faith in Jesus, there was no tug of war inside of us. There was nothing to battle. When the Spirit comes into us, now the war can begin. We can fight. We can come against the enemy. We can just, we can utterly destroy him with the Holy Spirit and the way the and the Word of God. You know, get thee behind me, Satan. Remember, Jesus said that to to uh, Peter because he was talking out of line. You know. There was only the desire of the flesh with no counterweight to resist it when we didn't have the Lord. Paul says the unsaved mind, the way unbelievers think about life, is set entirely on the flesh, which are always sinful. While we were unbelievers, uh, to the extent we refrained from doing what the flesh wanted, it was only because we were avoiding the negative consequences we assumed we would follow. But there was nothing righteous in our motive of desire before we have the spirit in us. So in verse 6, Paul says that the mindset on the flesh is what? Death. We're dead people. If the mind is set on the flesh, we don't have the spirit. That's why when we see people out there like the walking dead, you know, as they say, dead man walking, dead woman walking, you know, we don't want to see that. We want the Lord to come back or before he comes back and do a great work in the world, starting in our own, our own little world, you know, lakeside, you know, and going beyond that. So um, he's saying that the mind we possessed before faith was, was one that knows only sin and condemnation, what Paul sums up as death. I can... I. I can understand that. I mean, I came to the Lord at 39 years old. That's a lot of life and a lot of exposure to things that weren't right. And, you know, thinking nothing of it till the day the Lord got a hold of my heart. And then all of a sudden, you commit your life to Jesus Christ. You ask for forgiveness of your sins. And the next thing you know, you're looking at things in a different way. You say, well, how do I figure that out, you know? And you allow God to take and lead you and guide you and direct us in a way away from that sin. So the fleshly mind of every unbeliever is set against God. It's not for God. It's God's enemy. And towards sin, to such an extent that it can't think any other way. You know, people are totally given over to certain things, and you can name anything, you know. It's like, um, you know, Lemon meringue pie. If you like real lemon meringue pie, you're just going to keep on eating it. I'm going to keep on going back to it. And sin can be like that in our lives. It can be pleasurable. 
It can be like Adam and Eve in the garden saw the apple. It was, you know, looked nice and it was smelled nice and it was there. To, but it wasn't. It wasn't really. Once they took that bite of that apple or whatever it was, I'm calling it an apple, of that fruit, what happened to them? They were awake to sin and they were ashamed. So now the conscience took over and it's like, oh, man. So they tried to cover it. We can never cover our sins from God. He has to wash our sins away. So even when the Lord did reveal his desire to men, the fleshly mind merely took the opportunity and that knowledge to sin all the more. Turn away from it. Run away from it. Somebody says, you know, you really need Jesus. No, I don't. I got everything. You really do, you know. And then he sends a few more people. And then finally, through cement, it comes through. It's like, wow, why didn't I do that 30 years ago? Because the, it wasn't the point in time that was right, and Jesus is right and perfect in everything that he does with us. So under these circumstances, certainly the unbeliever gives absolutely no concern to their own sin. And this is what's so, so good about bringing unbelievers to church. They hear the word of God. Something might strike them. They see how joyful the people are. They see that we're together, we're shoulder to shoulder, you know. And they see people reach out here. You know, they get greeted out in the front. They get greeted in here. Uh, they get greeted from the pulpit with Pastor Bill. They get greeted at the goodie counter outside. It's all there. And that can change a person's life to say, what's going on with that? man or that woman. I want, to, I want a piece of that. I want to understand what that is. So they, they don't understand what God wants because they lack ex access to his thoughts. They don't understand them. They do not have the in, internal desire to please him. We have that. Every day we should get up. How can I please God today? You know, I get up a lot of days. Man, I sure hope I wake up. You know, get my eyes open and you know hope I don't fall on the floor when I get out of bed you know but the first thought should be how do I please God you know and go right to praying and go right to the word you know and there's people in this church that do that they do it every day and, and it's a blessing because they're the ones that are blessing us too we're blessing each other um, by contrast after we come to faith in Jesus Christ our, is our spirit is born again and becomes aligned perfectly with the will of God. We're lined up with the word of God, the Bible. We're lined up and understand the Ten Commandments. We're looking at them and taking the new life look at those. Paul says in verse 6, the mind we receive following faith knows only eternal life and the peace we'll have with God. But what's going to mess with it is sin, is our flesh. Comes along, it doesn't like that. Says, oh, no, 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 you're not going to have peace. You're not going to sit back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expose you to things that you're going to fall. This is Satan, you know. Say, no, I'm not going to fall because I'm going to rely on the word of God. And that difference that now we think about eternal matters and we share the Lord's concern for sin, where before we had concern only for the consequences of sin, what happens if I do this? You know, it's like going and breaking the speed limit. 
Well, you're not sorry because you broke the speed limit. You're sorry because you got caught. Right? That's, and then what, what are the consequences? Ah, I gotta go to court. I gotta go to, uh, auto school. I gotta do this or that, you know. But it's not the thought that you were speeding. Kind of loses sight, right? So, and that difference means that now we think about eternal matters and we share the Lord's concern for us. We learn to love God because God has always loved us. Where before we had concern only for the consequences of sin. God loved us when we were yet sinners. When we were rebellious, rebels without a cause. You know, we were going down our own path. We were running down that road sometimes to get away from them. And then once we get Jesus and we understand it, it's like we want to run towards him. And then the enemy likes to put out roadblocks. Take next right if you like so and such and such. You know, no, I'm staying on the road that God put me on. And even now, our thoughts about the consequences of sin have changed. Saying, what, what consequence does this have for me? But more so, what have I done in front of the Lord? How have I sinned this way in front of God, you know? So concerns about eternal security. This is the question that come one of the questions in the beginning. How will this affect my eternal security? Our worries about pleasing God become chief concerns. These are concerns unique to the believer. The unbeliever doesn't think like this. So if you're thinking like that, you're a believer, you believe in God, you believe in Jesus Christ. So it's often said that only believers worry about not having salvation. Could be a true statement. Unbelievers don't sit around worrying about whether they're saved. For that nation uh, notion uh, never even enters the mind of a you know depraved, deprived person. But the believer, especially the new, immature follower of Christ, may become fixated on that concern. Ironically, it's our living spirit that makes possible such a concern. You know, start thinking, have I lost my salvation? A lot of people go through that. It's, um, it's, a, it's a war. And, and they're led back through the word of God. They have to go in and the Holy Spirit has to work with them and lead them back. And many people fall to that. In other words, because we're alive in Christ, we now have the capacity to appreciate what it means not to be saved. We understand. We had that, even if it's a feeling, but it's more than that. It's like an assurance that, God, we are saved. We're going to go to heaven. We're going to go to a place that's much better than this earth. But in the meantime, we have to act like we're saved. We have to get out there and do the things that God has called us to do. And we can always put that off to the last thing of the day. You know, I'm a procrastinator. I look at things at work. I don't want to work on that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I have to come back to that. And I have to stay late because I didn't address it early in the morning. You know, it's the same way with us. Why give God the leftovers when we can give him the perfect meal? We can give it to him and say, I'm taking a portion of this and this, Lord. And I'm giving this to you before I even start my day and get out there in the world. Um, so, which is why Paul wants us to understand that our new thinking is proof in itself that we are not under condemnation. And Satan will use this a lot of times. Oh, look at you. Oh, you're such a goody-goody two-shoes, you know? And uh, say, hey, 
Get lost, Satan. Take a hike. The Bible tells me there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm in Christ Jesus, so take a hike. Verses 9 through 11 now, we're going to move on to that. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Uh, Christ is in you through the body is dead from sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. That is such a great thought. It is a beautiful, beautiful thought. Now Paul moves to addressing the second question. If believers sin at times like unbelievers, how do we know we're saved? You know, can I lose my salvation that way? The answer for several reasons is the Holy Spirit is living in with us is the ultimate proof of our salvation. If our mind is saying, oh, I'm sorry for the sin, Lord, we want to go right to him and ask for forgiveness and you know, bow before him. The answer for several reasons is the Holy Spirit living in us is the ultimate proof of our salvation. The Spirit comes to every believer at the moment of salvation. It's the Spirit who regenerates us, bringing us to faith. Makes it's a, We're born anew. Our new birth in Christ is accomplished by the Spirit of God, just as Christ himself was conceived in the flesh by the Holy Spirit. Remember, he came into the world that way. But from day one, he was sinless. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, who's sinless. You know, Jesus never knew sin. He was tempted. What happened when the devil took him to, when he was fasting in the desert, 40, or the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights? Tempted him three times. And when you're weak, when you're hungry, you know, you don't have any strength. You get tired. You get worn out. Your mind starts to kind of play. You know, that's when Satan likes to come after us. But the Lord proved that we can overcome him because Christ overcome him and we're in Christ Jesus ourselves. So, um, therefore, Paul says, if a person does not have the spirit of Christ, then that person does not belong to Christ. They walk in their own life. It was the presence of Christ's spirit in us, birthing us anew, that brought us into righteousness and freed us from the condemnation of the law. What a gift. Why us? You know, you look at that. Why me, Lord? When there's so many other people in the world, we're blessed. It's amazing. So that even though our body remained dead because of its sin, nevertheless, the spirit has made us alive. So moreover, Paul says in verse 11, that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will do the same for us. The fact that the Spirit took up residence in our dead body tells us he intends to bring us into a living body one day in the future. We're marching that way. We're going ahead. After three days, the Spirit of Christ brought Christ's body back to life. He wasn't in the tomb. He was gone. Those three days were merely an interlude during which Christ's body was dead. He did some things while he was gone from this world. And then when he came back, he appeared to people and he showed himself. He appeared to the apostles. And some of them didn't recognize him. His face was marred. When this is, we're going to talk about in communion today, it's just, 
in Isaiah 52 and 53, it really explains what Jesus went through on the cross. And, um, you know, it's amazing, you know, the, what he took as a, as a, as a man, you know, in the suffering. We'll, we'll get into that during the communion time. But the interlude lasted for a little while, but eventually the Spirit will finish the job which he started. And he's going to finish the job in us. One day he'll bring us, the living spirit, back into a new eternal living body. And as Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. How does that happen? Where does that perfection come from? Can't do it ourselves. Again, it comes through things that God gives us. He speaks to us. We pray to him. He talks back to us and gives us things. He gives us ways to look at things. He gives us knowledge, understanding. You know, all these things that we pray for. If we ask him for it, he'll give it to us. Look at Solomon. Look what he gave to Solomon. You know, Solomon asked, you know, for certain things. He asked for peace. But God, he was the smartest man in the world and everything at that time. But what happened is he got off the beaten track, didn't he? You know, as good as he was... And as perfect as he appeared to be, he had that sinful nature. And he, he made those sins. But God still loved him. He still brought him back to a place where, where he restored him. And that's what he does with us in sin. He brings us back to restoration. He says, okay, I know you stumbled and fell. Let me pick you up. Let's walk together. There's nothing more intimate than walking hand to hand when you're walking with somebody. Or walking with your arm around your your daughter, your son, your husband, your wife around the shoulder. There's nothing. It's, it's incredible when your two believers are doing that. It's like a bond of no other bond besides the Holy Spirit being in us. You know, that's the greatest bond that we have with Christ. So the first proof that sin is an undoing our salvation is that our spirit will one day receive a new body and that work will be completed in us. And the sin of this temporary body is going to go away. So Romans 8.12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Rather, for if you are living, in verse 13, according to the flesh, you must die. But if the spirit you are putting to death, the deeds of the body, you'll live. And in verse 14, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. The language in verse 12 is a bit awkward, but we could rephrase Paul's statement saying, so brothers and sisters, we are obligated by God not to live according to the wishes of our flesh. We're obligated for what he's done for us. An obligation is something that you have to carry out. He's done something for us. We have to have follow that path because Paul says if someone is living according to the flesh, that person must die. That, that particular part, the flesh must die. And we first wonder if Paul is talking about an outcome for believers, but the context shows something different. Paul is contrasting two ways of life, they say, about a person's identity. And one is living by the flesh, and one is living by the spirit. Um, so in verse 12, uh, the punctuation choice reflects the interpreter's awareness that Paul is taking a detour in verse 13. 
So in verse 13, Paul takes a moment to remind us that our prior state of unbelief presented no struggle, yet it resulted in death. Our prior state, not where we are today. So while our new state may involve struggle, that struggle is proof to us we'll live eternally. This goes beyond this world. We're going to be home with the Lord. So Paul's parenthetical statement simply reminds us that our current struggle against sin is better than our life lived in the flesh. The Spirit of God obligates us to put to our death the deeds of the flesh. When he says obligation, Paul doesn't mean we have a responsibility to engage. Paul means that literally God obligates the battle and you can't avoid it. It's out there in front of us. doesn't want us to detour. doesn't want us to run away from it. Because we are now in two parts, perfect spirit and sinful flesh. We will wrestle with sin. And you heard Pastor Bill talk about wrestle either last week or the week before. It's a tough sport. I never did it, but I can imagine what it's like. You know, you learn certain things in the army. And uh, you learn how to defend yourself. You learn how to take another person down, which is kind of a form of wrestling. But it's a form of self-defense and self-preservation. Some, if, you've, if you're wrestling the enemy that you're out there with, you know, in any way, shape, or manner. And that's what we're doing. We're wrestling with the enemy. And we will not let the enemy win. He can't win. Our spirit says we're going to win. We, we call on the Lord. We, we ask for his strength. Um, we don't really have a choice to fight. Our only choice is whether we will seek to win the battle or keep losing it over and over and over again. And there's certain things, I mean, I can name a couple of things like drugs or alcohol that people will get into and they don't realize there's some drugs out there that just take you immediately and you're another person completely. And it's evil, it's pharmacia, it's the devil himself. You know, that's where the word comes from in the Greek, pharmacia, pharmacy. But it's there. And, and kids today, I don't know what, the, what it looks like out there today, but growing up in the 60s, there was drugs all over the place, including, um, you know, prescription drugs. A lot of people took that and stuff like that. And then it's heroin and then... Um, Different drugs that come on the scene, speed and all this other stuff. So, you know, the fight there is, is it's weakening, it's taking, it's, there's a physical dependence on it. There's some drugs that have a mental de- dependence on it. Only God can win that battle. We can turn to him, Lord, I need help. I need to get away from this thing. I don't know any other way. I've tried ways. I've tried not drinking. I can't do it. I get up every day. I get the desire to drink. You can get away from it if you give it to the Lord. Put it on the cross. It's where it belongs. So we can see condemnation, confirmation that Paul was speaking about two different identities in verse 13 and 14. Um, the, the believer is the one who's being led by the spirit. And, um, We're not to measure people by that either. Um, We can't measure somebody else in the flesh um, and and trying to measure somebody, whether they're walking with God or anything like this, okay? Don't look at people and say, you know, I'm going to analyze you and I'm going to see where you're at. No, 
We look at them and think, Lord, what is it that you want me to do for them? What is it? How do you want me to pray for them? You know, what is it? What are the words that I need the words? I need the opening here. I need to see what has to happen. And he'll give it to you. Be like, okay. And then the next thing you know, he's on your prayer list or she's on your prayer list. And you're praying for him. And then down the road sometime, the Lord will expose you to something to see that something changed. Be like, wow. You know, but it's there. And God does change things through the power of prayer and, and supplication and intercession and all of this stuff that goes along with that. So verse 15 through 17. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons of which we cry out, Abba, Father. We didn't receive slavery. We're not slaves. We were adopted into the, into the Lord. Adoption, you know, adoption's an incredible thing. As sons and daughters, he calls us his sons and his daughters. How amazing is that? The Spirit in verse 16 himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Shows it to other people. He shows it to the Lord. And if children is also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And this is something we need to remember. We're not going to go through life easy. It's not going to be an easy walk. It doesn't matter. Suffering is going to be part of our life. It's going to be there, and it's going to be there till the day we're home with the Lord. But if we look at as Jesus had suffered on the cross, and Jesus suffered through life, on the way to Golgotha, on the um, Via Dolorosa, as he walks towards the Damascus Gate, people were yelling at him, throwing rocks at him, spitting at him. People that the week before, when he came in on a donkey, we're praising him as the next king of, or, the, or the king of Israel, right? But then they turn around and a week later, things went upside down. They, they, uh, he, before that, he was put before Pontius Pilate. He got beaten and all of these things happened to him. And then finally he ends up on the cross, an innocent, innocent man, Jesus Christ. On the cross, and you can hear the sound of the, the nails and things. Before the world at that time, he was lifted up. But he was lifted up, and our sins were there. And that's the thing to remember, is that God took our sins and put them before the world and says, hey, he's mine, or she's mine. That's because I adopted them, and we call him Abba Father. So... Um, when we received that new spirit in Christ, the old spirit went away so we're going to take communion this morning and um, you know you know the routine of coming down the middle aisle and taking a left or a right whatever side of the aisle you're on and then going back on the outside aisles and then we're going to have some praise music and then we're going to take the uh, the loaf in the in the um, cup as a commemoration of, of what Jesus did for the world the whole world. So, let me. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. The reason I run it off is because it's bigger letters, okay? And in some of my Bibles, 
Uh, it must be a, a thing of getting old. I'm 22 years old now, so, you know, I'm a year older. So my eyes are a little bit weaker, so I make them larger so I can read them and I won't make a mistake, you know, or, or be at that word, somebody has to yell it out, that kind of thing. But um, as we look at this this morning, let's um, take this time. I know we all have um, had a week. I don't know what kind of week people had in here, but let's take it and concentrate while, while the worship music's going on, on, on the things that God wants to talk to you about in your personal manner, in my personal manner, right now, today, and see what that is. And if there's anything bothering you or any questions or anything, put it on the cross. We're going to commemorate that with, with the cup and the loaf in a, in a, in a couple of minutes. So. Um, okay. Okay.